Ephesians 3, we're in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. This is God's Word. Please be seated. Prayer is a window to the soul, as it has been said. That is, if you want to know how anyone truly sees God in their heart of hearts, how they believe about God, how they feel about God, it's not so much what we say, but how we pray. Prayer is the best window to the soul that we've got. And we've got the unspeakable privilege in this passage to eavesdrop on Paul's praying for the Christians at Ephesus. Now, I can think of some of the great uh, men and women of God down through history that I would have loved to have listened in on their prayers, but no one more than Paul except Jesus himself. We get the chance to listen on Paul's prayer. This is the greatest of Paul's prayers recorded in the New Testament, and we're going to unpack it and learn about prayer. The best way to learn about prayer, how to pray, is to look at the prayers in Scripture. So verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And that's a little bit unusual because the standard Jewish posture for prayer is standing. That was the normal way they prayed, but not the exclusive way they prayed. But when they got on their knees, there was special fervency. So Paul is feeling deeply about this prayer for these Christians at Ephesus, where he has spent three years longer than any other church, where he had these deep bonds, and he bows his knees before the Father. Now, the Christian name for God, as it's often been said, is Father. That is, he's not simply God, creator, shepherd, king, ruler, although he's all of those things, but primarily he's Father. He's Papa, um, the one who loves us, Jesus, as we just prayed the Lord's Prayer, taught us to pray to God, His Father, our Father in heaven. And Paul models this here. He's a good, good Father. And he says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. One of the more difficult phrases in the passage, it's hard to know exactly what he means here, but when we trust Christ, it is true that you and I are adopted into the family of God. So we share, in a sense, the Father's last name, we share the same blood, the bloodlines of Jesus Christ. Every family in heaven on earth is named. So Paul is now, after that preface, is going to pray for these people that he's so close to, that he has spent far longer than any other church. And what do you think he might pray for? You know, there's all kinds of things he could pray for. Just like when you pray for your loved ones, your family, your small group, your church, your pastor, when you pray for anybody else, you know, all kinds of things to pray for. You know, you could certainly think with the, with the persecution in the empire that he might be praying for protection in this evil empire or spiritual protection in the battle. And those were good things. I'm sure he did pray for it because in Ephesians 6, he emphasizes the spiritual battle. 
But that's not what he prays for here. He prays here for the love of God. Not their love for God, but God's love for them. So the love from God. Now it is true that the greatest human responsibility that we have is to love God. Because Jesus told us crystal clear, the greatest commandment is to love God. That's our greatest responsibility. But there is something underneath our love for God or our love for our neighbor. That is, there is something that's foundational to that, that's before that, and that is God's love for us. We love because He first loved us. And if we don't get God's love, uh, our love will be uh, short-circuited, both for God and for other people. And so, there is nothing, hear me please, there is nothing more important in life than knowing God's love for you. Nothing. And so we're going to see what Paul prays for. There's actually a series of, let me give it from your angle, this staircase, a series of four things he's praying for, like a staircase, but the heart of it, as we're going to see, is that they would get God's love for them. But let's unpack these four stairs in the staircase, beginning in verse 16, where we read, he said, this is his prayer, that according to the riches of his glory, he, God, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that is, in your heart. <clears throat> First of all, he's praying that they would be strengthened with the power of the spirit. Now, ultimately, that's going to be particularly strengthened with power by the spirit so they can know God's love. But it's general at this point, and he is basically praying for the power of the spirit, the empowering, transforming, life-changing power. Now, I find that in the spiritual life, one of the, the, the big challenges is to constantly, continually to remember that we don't depend upon our own power or strength, but upon the power of God. It is easy for us to to try hard to obey God, to live the Christian life, to overcome sin, to overcome this, but that doesn't work. You know, if this carpet up here, a rug, had a bunch of lint on it, and I had a vacuum cleaner up here with me, and I was just going over and over, over it, and the lint wasn't being picked up, but, but, but it turns out that the vacuum cleaner wasn't plugged in, you know, that's going to be frustrating. But if I would just walk over there and plug it in and say this is a real good vacuum cleaner, man, it just sucked that stuff up. And you've got to have the power. Now, now do I exaggerate the, the analogy of a vacuum cleaner, plugged or unplugged, and you and I trying hard or trusting the, the Holy Spirit? I do not exaggerate. I believe that 95% of believers and all of us struggle uh, have a tendency to want to live the Christian life in our own strength by trying harder, and it doesn't work. What, what spiritual battle are you wrestling with today? Is, are you depending upon your own resources, trying harder, network, what others can do, incessantly talking to other people, or are you depending upon the power of the Spirit to transform you? It is the power of the Spirit that we need. You cannot change yourself but God can. You cannot overcome sin, but God can. You certainly cannot overcome some addiction, but God can. You cannot uh, heal your depression or back pain or save your loved ones or, 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 or anything else, but God can. 
We need the power of the risen Christ, the power of the Spirit. A spiritual life must be lived in the power of the Spirit. So, so right at the outset, now I regularly, and I preach this stuff, I regularly need to remind myself, and so I can only assume that most of you who are pretty human need to be reminded also. All right, the second prayer request. That's going to lead into the next one. It's going to build on each other. Okay, power of the Spirit that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You mean Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? It's been clear from the outset that they're Christians. Doesn't Christ already dwell in their hearts through faith? You bet. So what does Paul mean? The Bible is very clear that you're not a Christian. You're not a believer if if Christ is not dwelling in your heart, if the Spirit is not inside you. So why does he pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts? He must mean that more and more Christ would be at home in their hearts. More and more Christ would be ruling in their hearts, in charge of their hearts, um, reigning as Lord in their hearts, that there would be more of Christ and less of Him. You know, Christ is in all of the believers' hearts, but there, there can be degrees Less of us, more of Christ. And, and really what he's getting at is this sense of that, that Christ is, is so real to us. It's, it's not a, a theological abstract, but it is a personal love relationship with the living Christ so that we can encounter him. Let me give you an example that Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, gives in his book, Prayer. Uh, his book, Prayer, by the way, is in our bookstore and I, I'm uh, giving a little bit of a promo early back there. There you go. Thank you. Um, it's my favorite book on prayer. And if you've not read Tim Keller's book on prayer, I would encourage you to. And um, he gives this story about the French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal. And most of us have heard of Pascal, 16th century mathematician in, in Paris. And, you know, one of the great minds in history. And a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And Pascal um, had this experience with Christ so that he sewed in the inner lining of his coat uh, this little statement about it. And when he died in 1654, they found this little note sewn in the inside of his jacket. Now, isn't that fascinating that it would mean so much he didn't, didn't frame it, didn't put it in a book, didn't put it on a, but he sewed it into his coat like he, I, want, I wanted to keep it close to his heart. And, and this is what was on the note. In the year 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire, all caps, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. And isn't that interesting? You know, it's hard to know what all he meant that. I'm quite confident he didn't mean that he had this vision of literal flames, but that he had such an experience of the living Christ that it was like fire in his bones. And he was flooded with certainty and assurance about the love of God. And with peace and joy just welling up within him. And it, it, it must be something like that that Paul wants for his readers. So we're not talking about an intellectual religion. We're talking about an experiential encounter 
and love relationship with God. Fire in your belly. Lord God, send fire in me. And not that we're going to often or maybe ever have an experience quite like this, but it ought to be something so deeply personal and at times emotional to us. That's the second prayer request. Thirdly, so he's, what we've seen so far, the power of the Spirit. Now, as I said, how are you going to learn how to pray better? By listening at the prayers in the Bible. There is no greater prayer to learn from than the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. What do you pray for each other? What do you pray for your spouse, men, women? What do you pray for your loved ones, your family members, your kids, your church, your small group, your pastor? What do you pray for each other? Well, these are the kind of things to pray for. Pray that they would live by the power of the Spirit. Pray that they would encounter Christ more and more, that Christ would be more and more real and rich to them. Thirdly, we come to the heart of the prayer. When we come in verse 17, middle of 17, to the love of God for us. Okay, 17b, that you. Okay, so the, the first thing was uh, power of the Spirit, that they may, Christ may dwell in their hearts, that, so they build on each other. And then in 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Or you could translate it, to, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing. You know, just same word, different forms of it. You've got to know this love. Now, now is, is that not so emphatic? First of all, you've got to be rooted in love, God's love. You've got to be grounded in God's love. And then you've got to have the strength to comprehend God's love. And you've got to comprehend not, not just that it's a great love, but the breadth, the height, the width, the depth. You know, it, it's as if he, he cannot fully express the greatness of God's love. Just overwhelming to him. And he's not done. And he says, and so that you would know the love of Christ that is beyond knowing. That surpasses knowing. There is no more marvelous passage about, you know, the, the importance of knowing God's love for us than right here. By the way, he's not talking about the, knowing that love in your head, but knowing that love in your heart. He's talking about that we would experience it, taste it, feel it, grasp it. Jonathan Edwards this is the other uh, Keller story in that passage. He, Jonathan Edwards, great theologian, prince, president of Princeton University in the early days of America. And uh, he gave the illustration about knowing and really knowing of honey. He says you can know about honey in two ways. You can know about honey being sweet if others tell you about honey being sweet. And if you read in a book that honey is sweet, that's one way to know about honey being sweet. He says, but the second way to know it is if you put some on your tongue and taste it. And then you really know. Then you really know. And he says, it's, this is what Paul's talking about here. You can know about it intellectually because others tell you about it. Or you can actually experience it and, and receive it into your heart and, and feel it. And that's really knowing. There's a big difference, isn't there? When I was 29 years old, 
I was pastoring in Roseburg, Oregon. And uh, for whatever reason, I had this conception of God as great, holy, sovereign, which he all is. But I did not see him equally as good, loving, kind, and tender, and gracious, and easy to live with. And it was exacerbated by some mental struggles that I was having with OCD, but it was beyond that. And I realized it. In a great gift of God, a painful gift of God, Jeff, here you are, the pastor of Redeemer's Fellowship in Roseburg, Oregon, and in your heart of hearts, you don't even feel that God loves you. You know about it like you read about honey in a book, but you don't know about it tasting that sweet honey on your tongue. And, 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 and my, as a pastor, not just a, an all-out believer, but a pastor, and so I began a quest, oh God, you got to change me. I, I, I knew that uh, the stakes were desperate for my own soul, or this would just be religion, and a hard one at that. I'm not the only one. You don't have to have a mental disease to, to struggle with this. I bet 80% of believers struggle to some extent with knowing that the God of the universe is deeply crazy in love with us. Now, I think about 5 or 10% of you, and I know that doesn't add up to 100, but about 5 or 10% of you, uh, you've never struggled with that at all. Just thank God and don't feel spiritual. But most of us do. And isn't it interesting that when Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, where he spent three years teaching, that he didn't assume they had the love of God down. I know he's been gone for a while, but that's the main thing he prayed for this church. There is nothing more important that I can pray for you than that you get the love of God, that we can pray for each other, that you can pray for your family members, that they would get the love of God. Now, he says about this love of God, that you are rooted and grounded in God's love. When we ever, whenever we dedicate these babies up here, I'm just thinking, oh, God, they have got to grow up immersed in the atmosphere of God's love. And it's kind of like that. They're rooted in the soil of God's love for them. They're like a well-built foundation house founded on God's love. That's got to be the foundation. Otherwise, your spiritual life will wither. It will. And maybe right now you feel discouraged about your spiritual life, and this might be the root cause underneath everything else. But moreover, he says, and you've got to, and he says, he, he, he prays that they'd have the strength to comprehend, grasp with all the saints. Now, this is not going to be done in isolation because the whole Christian life is not done in isolation, always integrally related to fellow believers because God speaks to us through one another so much. So, you've got to comprehend it with all the saints. And then, what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth? You know, in other words, just the sheer greatness of God's love. I like the way John Stott put it when he said, The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. It's long enough to last for eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, thank God. And it's high enough to exalt that sinner to heaven. It is so great. It is so great. Karl Barth was a theologian in Switzerland, kind of a poet. He was in Germany, kind of opposed. Well, he did oppose Hitler. And... Um, 
had to flee the country during World War II, but he's just one of the great theologians in history. And he wrote these volumes and volumes of theology and scholarly materials. And, and, and at one point he was asked, he was in America when he was asked, he said, how could you sum up everything you said in one sentence? He said, he thought about it a second, and then he said this. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There's nothing more important than to know the love of Christ for me. Jesus loves me. And to know, finally, this love of Christ that surpasses knowing. We'll never get to the bottom of it. It's just so great. And then finally, kind of a, a brief prayer request that goes with it. Finally, in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> Not unlike what he's going to say a couple of chapters later than Ephesians 5, 18, that you'll be filled with the Spirit filled with the fullness of God. That is, more and more of God, less and less of us. More and more surrender to Christ, less and less of us. That is, that is uh, what we want here at Woods Edge is not a church full of people, but a people full of God. How are you going to be full of God? By being surrendered to God, empty of self, so that we can be Jesus-intoxicated, Spirit-infused, So four basic prayer requests from Paul that informs how we pray, or ought to inform how we pray. The power of the Spirit, because lives won't get changed by trying harder. More of Christ, more awareness of His presence, living in awareness of His presence. Thirdly, knowing God's love for me, knowing it in my heart, being filled with God's Spirit. As I said, the, the one that really builds up the, the request that the others build to or, or, or go from, the request that is elaborated fourfold expressions is the prayer request, we've got to know God's love for us. Sometimes I quote A.W. Tozer that when he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But if I could rephrase that slightly, I'd do it this way. And I would say, what comes into our minds when we think about God's love for us is the most important thing about us. That specifically. Because that changes everything. You know, the first commandment is to love God with all your heart. Let me ask you, if you really in your heart of hearts don't believe that God is crazy in love with you, will you love him back? Not a chance. This is what you will have, and this is what much of the church around the world has. Religious duty. Religious obligation. What they don't have is love affair. Or think about the commands to trust God, to live by faith. Will you trust God if in your heart of hearts you don't really feel like I, as a young man, felt that God is crazy in love with you, will you trust Him? Well, you will trust Him for the easy stuff, but you won't trust Him when there is a life and death situation with a loved one. Why would you trust a God you don't believe is good? What about the commands to obey God? Those commands that Jesus says, expresses 
and shows that we love God? What about all the commands to obey God? If you don't really believe that God is crazy in love with you, will you obey Him? Well, I tell you what you'll do. You will obey the easy things that you would do anyway, but the hard commands that talk about sexual purity, that talk about giving off the top, that talk about not gossiping, that talk about forgiveness, you won't do those things because you don't believe that He loves you and that He can be trusted. Behind all sin is the belief, the suggestion that God doesn't really love you. And so, friends, in Ephesians 3, we come to the very heart foundation, the wellspring of the spiritual life. We'll never go beyond this right here. No wonder this is the implicit and at times explicit theme of the Bible. No wonder it is the main prayer request for Paul to the church where he spent more time than any others. But the irony is that this is not only the most important thing in the Bible, it is perhaps the most difficult thing in the Bible because we've got a native unbelief and because life is so hard and painful and we tend to blame God unfairly and because the heart of Satan's strategy to suck the life out of you is to blind you to God's love for you. That is Satan's scheme, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Has God really said, you can't eat of any tree of the garden? It is the hardest thing in theology. And so be aware of the devil's schemes. So, church, wrapping it up, here is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. Is that a prayer that you regularly are praying for your loved ones, for your network? Is that a prayer that we should be praying for our loved ones, for the people in our lives? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By all means. Paul prayed it, and it must be our prayer. Lord, show them your love for them. Lord, show me your love for me. It's the most important thing we could pray. What I want to do in closing is to pray this prayer over you. So would you allow me to do that? Lord God, I bow my knees before you, the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters, Lord God, who are in this flock, Lord, whom I love. Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen everyone with power, the power of your spirit to live the Christian life. Lord, I pray that Christ would more and more dwell and rule and, and, and we encounter him in our hearts. Lord God, I pray especially that we would each one be rooted in love, grounded in love, that we would have the strength to comprehend, Lord God, with all the saints, to, to, to know, Lord God, deep in our hearts like honey on our tongues, Lord God, the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love, and to know this love that surpasses knowing. Lord, do it, I pray. Pray that there be just an upsurge in this in every one of our lives. And Lord, may we be filled with all the fullness of God for your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.